Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. Well, I have complained recently that there's been whiskey festivals going on, whiskey events going on, and I've not been able to get to them. This weekend, just gone, certainly made up for that. Where shall we start? Well, last weekend it was Wee Dram Fest in Bakewell, and I put a little thing out on Facebook and I think it onto Twitter as well about the fact that Colin Dunn, brand ambassador for Diageo, had given me the horn in a car park in Bakewell. Well, as promised, I'd better explain a little bit about that. Sure enough, he did give me the horn in a car park in Bakewell. Well, to be precise, not so much a horn as an antler, which I helped carry for him through to the Weed Ram Fest as he set up his stand. And what a lovely experience that was. Now, I'm not going to talk much about Weed Ram Fest at the moment. I'm going to put that on to next week and possibly the week after. Had some fantastic chats with some wonderful people. And that's one of the things about these festivals that I really like. It's not just to do with the whiskey. It's as much, if not even more, to do with the people there as well. Meeting these wonderful folk that are behind the whiskey. But also joining in that lovely sense of camaraderie with other people who are there drinking the whiskey as well. It's this wonderful situation. On one extreme, we have these fantastic people like Willie Tate, like John Black, who, to be honest with you, have got more whiskey wisdom in their little fingernail than I'm ever going to have in the whole of my body. Brilliant people. Legends in their own right. On the other end of the scale, you've got people like the three young lads who I met there attending their first whiskey festival and what a pleasure it was to speak to them as well to give that little bit of a a helping hand just occasionally as to what whiskies to try where to go what what to look out for little stories to share with them and in all honesty they seem to be so appreciative of that as well fantastic absolutely wonderful to me these are the things that these whiskey festivals are about but as i said i'm not going to talk too much about them this week that is going to happen next week but there is one thing that did happen that's a little bit on the time sensitive side and that was when i was talking to colin dunn at his stand he did mention to me of the fact that there was an event coming up so I think it's only fair to let him tell us a little bit about that event now because by next week the event will have come and gone and been missed. And it may well be that there's somebody listening to this who thinks, I want to look into this, that looks interesting. If I was in the area, if I had the time, you bet you I'd be there. Anyway, Colin, let's hear what you've got to say. I think you've got an event coming up. Do you want to plug that at all? Well, yeah, um, it's it's something that's coming into play now where whiskey, you know, in 2011, 2012 going forward, you've got to be innovative. You've got to think of new ways to, to bring people in, particularly the next generation. And uh, next week in London, um, 
<coughs> excuse me, down in uh, Lutchens in the Strand. I'm doing an evening of uh, whiskey, cocktails and blues. So uh, if any of you want to sort of chill out and listen to, listen to some Texas R&B with a whiskey feel, um, taste some great expressions of single malt and maybe have the little bitty Manhattan and they're all laughing at me here, I have to tell you. <laughs> uh, this is the way forward. Yeah. Whiskey, cocktails and the blues, man. <laughs> Now, I said that I made up for it in more ways than one. We Dram Fest at the weekend, that wasn't the only event. I felt so honoured by this. I get an email from the Belvini Distillery asking me if I wanted to take part in an online Twitter tasting of the Belvini Tun 1401 Batch 2. Now, this was really interesting for me because I'd never done anything like this before. The the Balvini Tun 1401 is basically whiskey that has been taken from 10 of the oldest and most precious casks in Balvini. Some of them ex-sherry casks, some of them ex-bourbon casks. And then they've been married together for three months in the ma- in a special marrying ton at the Belvini Distillery, ton number 1401. Now it's seven o'clock on Monday, the 24th of October. Some of us had been sent a little box and in that box was a sample of the ton number 1401, batch two, but also was a very small little bottle that contained a cask sample and we all had one sample from one of the casks my cask was 8701 bottled at 50.7% ABV and this was an ex-sherry cask and it was first put into the cask back in 1973 beautiful old cask I have to confess though that's not what my guess was my guess I was way out of it at first I thought this was only about 15 years old it was light it was sweet I didn't pick up any woodiness or oakiness to it but then I pushed that forward pushed it forward I think it was to a 1981 um, year but no I was way out. What threw me off the course? Do you know this this whiskey had honey, it had lavender, it had vanilla. It was sweet. It was what I felt a good foundation to build other ones on. It was enjoyable and I would have happily drunk it as a single cask whiskey. But what the Belvini have done, what David Stewart has done, he's, he's taken that with these other casks as well and he's put those together to make something really special the Balvini Tun 1401 and that was special there were loads of people coming up with tasting notes on there and they were coming out so quick I could hardly keep up with what was appearing on my screen in front of me it was really intense tasting Two whiskies, the cask sample and the tun sample, both with and without water, nosing them, 
tasting them, savouring them, trying to translate all that into a tasting note, keeping up with the other people and getting each little bit down to 140 characters or less. My life, the pressure of that, but my life, how enjoyable that was as well. My final note after doing all that, I think if my memory serves me right, was I just don't know whether I want to party or just collapse in a heap. Certainly my taste buds wanted more of that whiskey and certainly my fingers were well ready for a rest. But there you go. My personal tasting notes on the Belvini. I don't normally talk about tasting notes. However, it's out there on Twitter, it's part of the event, and I know that what I've said is very different from what other people have said. That appearance, I can remember saying one of my first notes, that the appearance of this whiskey was like a, a, a posh, eloquent woman. It was rich and leggy, lots of cling the nose i picked up kiwi fruit peel not so much the fruit itself but the peel it's the citrus but no i other people were saying orange i wasn't picking up orange on the nose not straight away i was picking up kiwi fruit peel and green tea it was a soft delicate nose i could smell the cask sample inside of that ton sample but very much in the background and that's what my cask was my cask was the background flavor that seemed to have all the others building up on top of it the taste of that 1401 batch 2 for me it was a full mouthful strong start some hot spice there but my life that was well balanced out long finish of licorice of barley sugar and yes, there was honey. My life, there was honey. There was lavender. There was vanilla. It was sweet, but also slightly spicy. And it developed so well. Now, I had a few tastes of this whiskey during the sampling, both with and without water. And I returned to it right at the end as well. Right at the end of it, my final bit of tasting, I suddenly picked up some chicory. Not that that's greatly relevant, but what was relevant was right at the end, I was still discovering new flavours from this, new effects coming through from it. And to me, that is one of the things that made this a wonderful dram. It was complex, but it was balanced. It revealed itself over time. And I found it interesting, looking at the other notes coming up, looking other people getting things not quite right maybe not quite as as wrong as i did at times i will hold my hands up to that i certainly got the age wrong and i actually got the cast type wrong and that really surprised me i did not pick up it being an ex-sherry cask it had lavender it had vanilla it wasn't heavy it was light and sweet. It was a beautiful cask that went into making this beautiful ton 1401 batch two. Brilliant. And as an event, wonderful. 
I don't know if I'd have the stamina to do that every night, all night, but certainly once a week, Belvini, if you're listening, or anybody else who wants to copy this, it would be a real treat. It was short, it was intense, and wonderful. Thank you, Belvini, for such an experience. Now, one final thing I'll say about the Tun 1401 is... They did a F- ton 1401, batch number one, which I believe was only available from the distillery. What they've done now is they've done two more batches. Batch number two, available in Europe and those sort of areas. Batch number three, more over to the American side of the world. So, if you're listening over there, look out for the batch number three. But, there's still more in this podcast that I need to talk about. Sometimes things can take a long time before you get down and do them. Glenglasic Distillery, in a way, is an example of that. Not that they've taken a long time, but I've taken a long time. When Glenglasic Distillery was reopened, I didn't take a long time before I got in and started talking about it. When I found out about Glenglasic Distillery, it didn't take me a long time before I actually went out and tasted some of their new make spirit. When I tasted some of the new make spirit, it didn't take me a long time before I then started mentioning it on the podcast. And the reason for that was all of those things were wonderful. The news about Glenglasic was wonderful. The taste of that new make spirit was wonderful. And then I started reading the book, Glen Glazok, A Distillery Reborn by Ian Buxton. And that book is truly wonderful. So what's taken a long time? The thing that's taken a long time is for me to get down and do a proper interview with Ronnie Routledge from Glen Glazok. Now it's taken a long time because now... My podcast episodes are in the 60s and it was episode 18 that I first started to truly talk about Glen Glazuk on these podcasts. That episode was called Snow May Fall Crisp and Even But a Distillery is Born, well reborn. And as I said, that was episode number 18, along with a load of other stuff as well. But in that episode, I'll talk a bit about the distillery and I'll talk a bit about the the history of the distillery. I don't want to repeat all that information there because that episode is still available if you want to download it. But there's been news from Glenglasic Distillery. They are now releasing the first cask release. This is whiskey from the new reborn distillery. It's not old stock, which is what has been released in the past. This is new stock. This is exciting stuff. The new make spirit that they were making has now matured to the point where it's ready to be called whiskey and ready to be sold. And this is exciting times. I have mentioned this recently, but I thought it really would be a good time to get to talk to Ronnie Rutledge again, and that is exactly what I did, and that's what I'm putting the rest of this podcast over to. Now, here is a confession. The telephone line that I had, the connection that I had with him, was okay when it came to hearing Ronnie talk, 
but my voice was echoing down that line to the point where I wondered how he could understand the word I was saying. It's so bad, I don't think you'd be able to hear and understand what I'm saying on this episode. So what I've done is taken the liberty of re-recording over the top of my voice what my original comments and questions were. It might sound a bit weird, but at least you'll get to understand it. I hope you'll go with it, because, to be honest, as always, what people are saying to me are the interesting parts. It's one of the joys of doing a podcast. I get to push myself. I get to explore things in more depth than perhaps I would do if I wasn't going to have to talk about it. I get to taste more whiskies than I would normally do. But one of the really important things is I get to talk to these fantastic people, these wonderful magicians who are there behind this product, this glorious substance that we love so much. So it is with great pleasure I give to you the Ronnie Rutledge interview. Ronnie, Christmas is coming and I'd like to know whether or not You've got anything coming from the distillery that will be ready in time for it? We do, actually. Um, we are going to be launching our very first cask, cask number one um, from the new regime. This was um, filled into wood on the 16th of December 2008, and we have the whole team coming in on the weekend of the 16th of December this year to bottle, label and pack this ready for dispatch so that people can get it in time for Christmas. Um, at least we'll do our very best to get it to people in time for Christmas. So that will be a single cask of our very first three old whiskey. Um, so we're guesstimating somewhere in the region of 650 to 680 bottles. Right. Um, so we've actually put this live on our website just uh, a few days ago, so they, they have been selling particularly well. In fact, over half have gone. But they're limited, aren't they? They are They are limited, yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. How would you describe the style of the whiskey? The style, it's, um, it's a sort of medium weight. Um, it has the typical going glass of tropical fruits, um, but there's quite a, a good... Uh, sherry character in there as well. But what we did with this cask, it was a, a refill sherry butt which stayed in for two years. On the 16th of December 2010, we transferred half of the content into a first fill Palo Cortado sherry cask and the other half into a Pedro Menef first fill sherry. They sat in that two individual casks for nine months each. And on the 16th of September this year, we returned them back to the original cask number one, just to have a three-month marrying period. So we've got sherry character coming in three different directions, the original cask plus the two first pills. So I, I've just looked at a sample the other day, and it's looking like a lovely, lovely whiskey. Oh, um, this isn't the only release that you've got at the moment, is it? This will be the, the very first one. We are looking to launch a, a no-age statement single malt early next year, right. um, which will be uh, more of an ongoing product, um, something that we can try to get onto shop shelves yeah. um, worldwide. So that, that will be exciting times when that's available. But 
you have, I think, recently put out new releases from the old stock of Glen Glazak. We have put out some new releases. In fact, the, the latest one is the, the first in a series of bottlings called Chosen Few. Um, and basically the concept behind this is where each of the ten members of the team working at the distillery can choose his or her favourite cask, either from the old stocks of whisky, from the old regime, or from some of the newer stocks once they become whiskies. So the very first release was my own choice, and that was a 1976 um, refill sherry butt, um, bottled at 35 years old at natural strength. And I, I swear to God, this is one of the nicest whiskies I have ever tasted, and has gone straight into my top three all-time whiskies. Yeah. It really is stunning. Yeah. From what I've heard about Glenglazuk tasting notes from in the past, I'm not surprised to hear you say that, to be honest. Oh, it, it really is a beauty. Um, I mean, the, we've been very, very lucky in the, the stocks that we bought back from Edrington when we bought the distillery. The 99% or 98% of the casks have been absolute top-notch, mm. uh, and this is one of them. So um, we're, we're delighted to, to get these onto the market and let people see what the true Glenglassa style is like and just how good the quality was. Ronnie, if I could ask you a slightly provocative question, just for a moment, and that is my understanding of the company that was behind the buying of Glenglazuk Distillery. It seems to be that they thought, right, well, we've got dealings in this and that as a company, um, mainly, it seems, in power. And then they thought, right, well, we could do with a distillery within our portfolio rather than think, right, well, let's open up Glen Glazer again? Um, it, it, you're right. It was a case of um, we would like to own a, a Scottish whisky distillery. Um, they basically employed um, Stuart Nickerson, who is our um, current MD. Uh, Stuart at the time was a consultant in the whisky industry, and they approached him basically with a spec of... Um, looking to purchase a, a distillery in Scotland that could produce excellent whisky, had good stocks of whisky for sale, and was in a, a nice geographic location. And the geographic location, as far as Stuart was concerned, wasn't a major thing because producing good whisky is much more important. Um, and Stuart, at one point in his career, had been in charge of Glen Glasser during the mothball period, so he knew the quality of the, the spirit this place was capable of producing, um, and also how highly regarded Glen Glasser was by blenders and um, people in the production side in the whisky industry. So for Stuart, I think it was a bit of a no-brainer to, to get Glen Glasser back on its feet. So does that company still have a great involvement with the distillery, or are you left to get on with it the way that you wish? Well, that's right. They, 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 don't, um, they don't have much knowledge on whisky themselves, so they're happy to leave Stuart to, to run the place, and Stuart has put a, a great team of guys together here with skills in various avenues in the whisky industry. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel Stuart's put a, a great team of people together here, which is very encouraging for everyone that works here, and I'm sure it's encouraging for our owners too. Yeah, well, you saying that has brought me on to my next question, really, which is going to be how important are the people there and the skills they bring? How does that affect the character of the whisky in many ways? It's, 
very important. Um, I mean, Stuart and Graham Yunson, who first took the place back uh, running, um, had really decided on what style they were going to use, what style of barley, the fermentation times, mashing times, distillation times, all this type of thing. So the spirit style was decided um, beforehand. And we are looking to produce as old going glass, however, we have changed a number of things around the distillery, so if anything, I think the team that's here are going to improve on what was a fantastic whiskey anyway. Yeah. And um, certainly, fingers crossed, we hope that's what's happening. Um, yeah, that, that is very interesting, because I'm aware that releases from the old stock have had very good reviews. In fact, some yes. could say that they've even been record-breaking reviews. I think we were talking to Jim McEwen about this about a year ago, and he said that the only time we'd ever given full marks on a blind tasting to a whiskey was with, the, I think it was the 40-year-old Glen Glazer. I was in Bakewell that day when he said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget. Yeah. How do you think the... the so you, well, I say, how do you think the new releases are going to compare to that? You're, you're saying to me you think they're oh. going to better. It, it's a little bit difficult to say yet, Jim. I mean, to be honest, we're probably looking two decades down the line before we can actually say, right, can we compare this to the old going class of style? I mean, the indicators are already there that what we are producing is top-notch new make spirit. In my opinion, that's one of the reasons I came to join the team here, because of the quality of the spirit. Um, we are investing in very good wood. Um, so with a combination of the two... I, I can't see us going wrong. Um, however, we are taking cask samples all the time, although most of the spirits still very young at the moment. But early indications are showing that we are sitting on hopefully what's going to be a fabulous whiskey in the future. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, I mean, we, we, we're very confident about what we've been producing, and if we weren't so happy and weren't so confident with the product, then we wouldn't be launching it next year as a no-age statement malt. Um, so that kind of speaks volumes in itself that we are releasing it. And is all the stock going to go into your own bottlings now, or is any of it going to go over into blending? No, everything we're producing at the moment is for use as our, by ourselves for single malt purposes. Yeah, okay. And this new release that's just coming out, that is a limited release. There's only so many bottles. It's just one single cask. One single cask. Yes. Is that going to be a pattern in for future releases, the idea of, of limited editions? Or will you, do you think you'll, you'll get to the point of having an age-statemented, consistent whiskey that sort of goes on ad finitum? Well... We, we we haven't made um, decisions on all of those um, questions yet. Um, we are aiming to have a 10-year-old single malt. I mean, that is our, our goal at the moment. Um, what we do beyond 10 years, we, we haven't decided or, or even discussed as yet. Um, we will have um, some small releases um, prior to the 10-year-old from the, the new stocks. Now, that could be varting, small vattings of a few casks, it could be single casks, um, it may be a five-year-old, a six-year-old, but we, we still have to make these decisions. But yes, you will see some guest releases through, throughout the years. Um, as Stuart and myself and the rest of the team um, taste some cask samples and look at various cask samples, if, if there is something 
there that wows us, then we think, OK, let's share it with the, the whiskey drinking world yeah. and let people see what we're doing. But to talk about this aspect of sharing the whiskey with the whiskey drinking world, that involves more than just making the whiskey. Um, what is the relationship between the whiskey makers and the, for want of a better word, the marketers? Um, we are quite lucky where we are because we've got such a small team. Um, we are the whiskey makers and the marketers, so we're wearing various hats here. But um, as, as far as consumers are concerned, um, it, we find it extremely important that we're out there talking to consumers. Um, Stuart's away over in Singapore. In fact, he's just moved into China this week. He's out there for a week doing tastings, etc. Um, I'm around the UK attending various shows at the moment. I've just come back from London. I'm down in Manchester again this coming weekend. Um, and there's a few others in the pipeline before Christmas time. So it's extremely important that the guys based at the distillery with the knowledge are out there talking to the general public and um, trying to win people over and let them know what we're doing. Yeah, this sounds like there's a strong honesty about that as well. Absolutely, yes. Um, certainly we've nothing to hide here. We've got everything. We, we want to show people what we're doing. We want people to be aware of going glass on one. Um, we'll launch products and hopefully some people are expecting them. Others will have heard this and hopefully seen the PR we've had from releases even from the old um, whiskies as well. Yeah. So hopefully people will expect great things from us and I hope deliver as well. Yeah. Ronnie, can I ask you a personal question? Of course. What got you into Glenglazer or even the whiskey industry? Ooh, the, the whiskey industry... I, I started in the wine industry when I first left college, um, so it was kind of a natural progression for me to stay in the booze trade, if you like. Um, and I've been in the whiskey trade now, I would think, 23, 24 years there. Um, Stuart actually came knocking on my door to see if I would join the team at Glenglasser here, um, which was a, a nice position to be in. Um, and it be honest, was a no-brainer for me. Um, I had already tried new mix spirits from here. I had fallen in love with Glenglass up 15 years ago um, when I first tried uh, independent bottlings of it. Um, I was selling the new mix spirit and the, the older whiskies that they launched when they first took over in 2008. I was selling these in my previous job, so I, I knew everything was shouting quality from Glenglass. And the fact they had just opened up and were basically on the crest of a wave, if you like, and getting in at the, the beginning um, just seemed like a, a fantastic opportunity for me. Yeah. So, uh, and one I'm very, very happy with. I can understand with what you're saying, actually, about this falling in love with a new make spirit. Yeah. I always think that it's a bit of, a, of courage in many ways that when the distilleries in its early years and it hasn't got mature stock that it's it's made itself um and it releases that new make spirit it's a bit of a gamble really i suppose it goes back to that honesty doesn't it well it can be a gamble but um to be honest I, i've tried a lot of new make spirits coming out of scotland over the years and i can say hand on heart what good glass is producing is certainly equal to anything I've tried out there. It's certainly better than 95% of everything I've tried. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not 
hard for me to go out there and be honest because that's exactly what you are doing. Yeah. yeah. And the first time I tasted New Make Spirit from Glen Glazak, um, well, you mentioned Bakewell earlier, and I can remember talking to you at Bakewell saying that I'd come and taste the new make but never managed to get back to your stand and then you contacted me and said I think Adrian from the Wee Dram shop has got some bottles there That's right. and bless him Adrian laid them all out for me and we had a little tasting session there and then in his shop and I have to say it blew me away it's absolutely wonderful stuff that's great news, Jim. Yeah. And on Adrian's behalf, I have to say, he's a really good bloke to taste whiskey with. He is, yes. I have a lot of time for Adrian. He's, he's doing some great work for us. Um, he loves the distillery as well. So, Ronnie, if somebody wants to get hold of a bottle of two of Glen Glazak whiskey, or with the new release, a bottle, because you can't get two, and let's be honest, who wouldn't want to get hold of a bottle? How do they do that? Um, they would need to go on our website. They, these are available exclusively from the distillery. Now, um, we loaded these on the website just last week, um, so people need to go on to www.glenglassa.com and, and go on to our shop area there and order. It's called Cask Number. Cask, we've named it. So if they, they just find the first cask under the whiskey list there and order a bottle. Um, so it's all pre-ordered. Like I say, we, we will all come in on the weekend of the 16th of December, get this um, bottled, labelled, packaged and touched hopefully on the Monday morning. And can I just add something to that? Is As well as the whiskey, I'm aware that i be honest, I don't know whether it's still available, but I am aware that Ian Buxton helped write a book about Glen Leather. Yes. Um, which I found a very interesting and beautifully illustrated book. Is that still for sale from the history? It certainly is, yes. Um, Ian's book was excellent, and it was an unbiased view of um, Glen Glass's history, basically, and its renovation. Um, I, I thought it was beautifully written as well. Yeah. Ian actually worked for the distillery in the, its early months to, to get the products onto the market uh, and basically launch the distillery back to life again and uh, let the, the general world know that we were back in production. Um, Ian, funnily enough, is actually coming to help with the bottling of the first cask as well, so, so that's very decent of him to come up and... Um, Get his hands dirty for the weekend. Yeah, that's yeah. marvellous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you ever so much for your time. I do appreciate this. You're very welcome, Jim. It's lovely to speak to you again. Yeah, and hopefully we'll bump, bump into each other at another whiskey festival soon. I'm sure we will, and I know you've ordered a bottle yourself, so I, I hope you enjoy it when you do crack it open before Christmas. Or on Christmas Day would be a nice occasion. Yeah, it would be. This is, you know, ordering that bottle of whiskey was one of those moments where you see it, you're tempted, and then you say, no, I've been spending far too much money now, or I've bought too much already, or for some reason you have to say no to it. And then you come off the website, you turn the laptop off, you close it, you walk away, and as you walk away, you suddenly think to yourself, wait a minute, how can I not buy it? And you go back, reboot it, and then you buy it. I mean, let's face it, first cast release, Glen Glasgow Whiskey, who on earth is going to be able to resist that? So I bought it. I've got no regrets. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I'm looking forward to mine on Christmas Day. 
you very much, Ronnie. You're very welcome. Thank you, Jim. Okay. Bye. Well, thank you again for listening to this episode of the More to Muse podcast. If you haven't heard them already, there is a back catalogue of other episodes available on iTunes. And if anybody wants to contact me, they can do so. My email address is jim at com. There's the website, www themaltedmuse.com and there's also Twitter Twitter at The Malted Muse so thank you again for listening I hope you'll listen next week and until then thank you and goodbye